0: For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians.
1: Well, hey, everybody. we got to wake up. we got a big message ahead of us. This is so important for us to, to really be ready to not only listen to, but to interact with. And so I really want to invite you, if you haven't yet opened up your Bible to Acts chapter 11... Please do that right now, and there is one uh, right in front of you on uh, on the back of that pew, so get that open if you would, and we're going to see what the Lord has to say to all of us because I think this is a really unifying message for the church because this is our mission. Now, I want you to imagine something pretty exciting for a moment. Now, everybody, I want you to really do this with me, okay? A lot of you are talking a great deal about this series called To the End of the Earth that has a renewed emphasis to tell the unsaved people in your life about our amazing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are some of you who are talking with your parents who are spiritually lost, some of you talking with your siblings, some of you with your neighbors. We have teens here in this church that are writing me, and telling me that they're sharing the Christian hope with their own friends. Some of you have gone out to downtown Easton and shared the, the gospel of Jesus Christ with complete strangers. A great many of you are going to be involved, you got to hear this, in our August event. Where we hold an outdoor concert at Scott Park right across the street. It's going to be called Love Never Fails. We're going to give backpacks to needy children. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to have a prayer tent. We're going to have so many awesome things to do, and you're all invited to serve. and that. So we've got a lot of people that have been and will be witnessing of Jesus Christ. So I want you to imagine. You ready? Oh, this is amazing. Imagine, dream, dream, that the hand of the Lord is with us. As we declare Jesus in all these ways, and dozens, maybe even hundreds of lost people put their faith in Jesus Christ. Imagine that, dream that for a moment. What do we do then? How do we care for all of these new believers? In fact, what do new believers even need? That's the question. What do new believers need that we're going to discover in this passage? And I want to really encourage you, church, to listen to this, to be ready for this, and to learn from this, because this is the church we've got to be. You know what I really believe? I truly believe this with all my heart. God will not pour himself out in this church whereby hundreds of people get saved if we're not prepared and ready to receive them? I mean, what couple in America does not get the nursery ready when a baby's about to be born? How do we handle all of these new believers that I am by faith expecting to happen. Well, I'm going to tell you a few things, and this is what we're going to learn from this passage. Here we go. You ready? Here's the first one. New believers, they need encouragement from fellow believers. Encouragement is huge. Let's look at the text. Look at Acts 11. Listen, it doesn't matter how young you are. If you can read, you should be looking at the text. And we've got all the lights on, so you should be able to read. Do we have all the lights on? I don't know. Do we have more lights to put on? Come on, Jefferson, get some lights on in here. People can't read the Bible. That's really important. All right, here we go. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen, remember all the way back to chapter 8, traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, Speaking the word to no one except Jews. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to kind of take you through these first few verses, and we're going to get our bearings, we're going to get our moorings, and then we're going to see, really, what kind of encouragement the new believers get. Now, our passage begins by Luke. He's the author of Acts. Connecting us all the way back to, that, to chapter 8, to the persecution that occurred when Saul, you remember, he's going to be called Paul, he will be an apostle, but here in chapter 8, he was violently pursuing Christians. He's arranging even the murders of Christians. He stood by, held the cloak, authorized The murder of the faithful believer Stephen. You remember that. We hit that really hard. And the persecution of Saul, chapter 8, scattered the young church. And many of the Jews, they fled north, all the way up along the Mediterranean coast. I mean, it is a beautiful place. If you're going to run in fear, run to the idyllic parts of the ancient Near East. Up along the, the Mediterranean coast, some of them, a lot of them, went all the way to the city of Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. It's got an estimated half a million people that live there. It's about to become the central hub for missionary work of the gospel to the Gentiles. It was called, back in the ancient days, the cradle of Christianity. It's located in, right now, modern south-central Turkey. So get your bearings for a moment. You've got Antioch, half a million people, 300 miles north of Jerusalem, and here's where a lot of the Christian Jewish People fled when Saul began to persecute the church. But they haven't haven't heard yet. They haven't heard that Saul has been saved. They haven't heard that Peter preached the gospel to the Gentiles. They don't know any of this. They're fairly uh, secluded all the way up in Antioch. They're witnessing of Jesus, did you get that? Look at verse 19. They're speaking the word to no one except Jews. So all along their travels, they're telling people about Jesus. Now let me ask you, raise your hand if you've flown in the last year. You know you had a captive audience next to you, right? If you fly planes for a living, You've got a captive audience constantly next to you. How many of you have taken a bus? You know there's a rule that you don't talk to people on the bus? Or the train, that rule's kind of there with trains, too. we got a guy in our church who's here right now who orders a piece of pizza every time he rides the train. I always ask him, listen, are you sharing the pizza and Christ with people? Oh, that was a little joke. Very, not, not a very good one, obviously. So listen, we've got Christian Jewish people scattered by persecution. This is the best part. They're talking about Jesus wherever they go. Except they're not talking to Gentiles. They're only telling Jewish people about the gospel. They don't know yet that the Holy Spirit has unleashed on Gentiles. They really still think that the gospel, the good news, is only for the Jewish people. However... Verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. Now, who are the Hellenists? Remember, I'm kind of giving you a little background. We're going to start seeing the encouragement in a minute. Hellenists are Greek-loving people, people who are very much very familiar with Greek culture and Greek language. So on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, the Greeks. These are Gentiles. And also they were preaching the Lord Jesus in the hand of the Lord. Only three times you're going to read about that in the New Testament. The hand of the Lord was with them. That meant God was favoring them. The power of God was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So here we've got, we've got all of these people who are believing in Jesus. Now, you remember where I asked you to dream for a moment? What if we begin to see the hand of the Lord on Cornerstone. And we see dozens and maybe hundreds of new believers coming into this church. What are we going to do for them? How do we help them? Are we ready for that? Now listen, are you ready for that? And the way that you want to answer that is, are you even now ministering to young believers the church back in Jerusalem, they hear that the hand of the Lord is upon them. All, of, all these people in Antioch are getting saved. So they send the perfect man for the job to investigate. His name is Barnabas. We've met him briefly twice now in this series. Look at verse chapter 4. Can you flip your Bibles back for a moment? Look at verse 36. It's kind of cool because he gets a name change. He's born with the name Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus. He sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we've got a guy whose name nickname is son of encouragement. That doesn't mean his dad's name was encouragement. It means that he was such an encouraging person. He had such a gift of encouragement that he earned himself the nickname by the other apostles, by the apostles. Now, I'm going to tell you something, and then we're going to really get rolling on this, because all of that was basically introduction. I'm just setting up what you're about to see. But I'm going to make a statement. And I want you to believe this, actually, because it's so important. New believers in Jesus Christ need encouragement more than anything else. They need encouragement more than anything else. You have somebody in your life that get saved listen i'm going to tell you if you came to me and said pastor tim what do they need i'm just going to tell you they need your encouragement more than anything else right now like a mother nurturing that baby like a garden that needs to be watered and put and put in the sunshine listen this is what they need they need the power of encouragement and you are going to be hard pressed to find a more encouraging person in all of the bible than a guy whose birth name was joseph but was changed to barnabas you see why did they do a name change in the bible that usually only happens when something significantly changes their character when they get a new character and joseph is changed to barnabas And he is the encourager. He is an encouraging man. Look at verse 23, Acts 11. When he came to Antioch and he saw the grace of God, that means the power of God and the favor of God pouring out on these people, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. So here we go. Now we're really going to get moving on this. And I'm going to ask you a question, and listen, you've got to answer this, because why would you even want to sit under a sermon if you don't want to think? You've got to think. If you don't think in a sermon, you leave the way you came. Nobody wants that. I don't want that. I want my life to be changed in a sermon, and I'm sure you do too. That's why you come to church, to worship and have your life changed. So I'm going to ask you a question. Do you have an encourager in your life? Now listen, I don't mean somebody that's encouraging you to lose weight. I don't mean somebody encouraging you to get a new job or to start exercising regularly. That's all fantastic. It really is, and I mean that. I mean somebody who's encouraging your walk with Jesus. Who is really that person? The person who is pouring into you with glad joy that you are listening, their words gain traction. Why? Because they've got the gift of encouragement. And those with the gift of encouragement are the most loved people in a church. Somebody who takes the time This is important. This is how you define. This is how you answer that question. If you've got somebody encouraging you, it's somebody who takes the time to see what God is doing in your life and joins God's work in your life. This encourager partners with God to accomplish what God means to do in you. Do you have somebody like that Somebody who, and this is what an encourager does, they're amazing people. They can see God's grace more clearly than other people can see it, and they cannot but speak it to you. Listen, if you've got the gift of encouragement, if you've got somebody in your life that is encouraging you, when they see you, they see what God is doing in your life, and they cannot but speak it. God's active grace demands to be acknowledged, and these encouraging people are glad to do this. If you are a dour, negative, depressive person, first of all, let Christ invade your heart with joy, first of all. But second, I really doubt your calling is with new believers. Why would anybody be encouraged to grow when they see such joylessness in your life? Is that you? Are you a dour, negative, critical, grumbling person? You will have zero impact on new believers. Well, I should actually qualify that. You'll have a lot of impact, but it won't be the impact you want. If you want to encourage people to grow, then you've got to be glad when you see God's grace in their life. And you've got to joyfully speak it to them. And you can do that. I can do that. All of us can do it. You see, new believers need glad grace seers, those who can see God's hand of grace, who exhort you to be steadfast. Look at that word in the text. You see that word exhorted? I'm telling you, this is one of my favorite words in all of the Scripture. This is actually one of the names of the Spirit of God. It's parakaleo in the Greek. It means... It, let me tell you what it, what it was used for. It was used for sailors. Because sometimes their ship would break down. Their mast with their sails would break. They would snap in a hurricane or a gale force wind, and then they're dead in the water. And then another ship needs to pull up, and it ties itself to that ship and helps the broken-down ship make the repairs. And if they could not make the repairs at sea, it would tow the ship to a harbor where the repairs could be made. That's what this word was used for. It was also used in those days when they had wagons and their roads were good. All roads led to Rome. Rome was an incredibly adept. Road-building nation, except they were single-lane roads almost always until you hit the king's highway. So you've got a chariot or a wagon going this way, and another one meeting you head-on. One of you has to go off the road. And when you did, those thin little wheels would go down into the mud and get buried oftentimes to the axles. And then other people had to put their shoulder to the wheel. This word means you put your shoulder to the wheel. It means actually, technically, to call alongside for help. This is what it means in both of those analogies. The ship comes and ties up. A person puts their shoulder to the wheel. It means I really love coming alongside to help you. That's what it means to exhort. If you thought it means to say really mean, harsh things to try to get people moving, well, that's sometimes what you have to do. But more than anything, I really love, you really love to come alongside and help people. This is Barnabas. This is how he lived. This is what he was like you see new christians and you know this because every one of you if you are saved was a new christian at one time and you you begin this spiritual walk you've got really wobbly legs of faith just like a toddler first learning to walk so picture barnabas He's coming alongside like a parent. He's holding the hands of these new believers as they learn to strengthen their legs of faith, to get their balance in this topsy-turvy world. He comes alongside these spiritual toddlers. He ties up his ship to them, bringing them into safe harbor, motivating their timid hearts, their wobbly legs, to courageous actions of faith. The Barnabases of a church are amazing. They water new believers. They encourage new believers. They guide new believers. They exhort them to not fall away like seeds planted on a rocky soil or plucked by birds or choked by worldliness. New believers need those who are ready and willing to come alongside. Now, I've got two more points, but let's end this one with a question. Let's be really sober-minded, and let's be utterly raw and honest. Can you endure me pastorally saying something for a moment? Listen, I know some of you really, really well. And I know others of you fairly well, and I'm really looking forward to getting to know a lot of the other ones that I don't yet know. But let me tell you something that I do know. The Lord has given me not a lot of gifts, and none of them are in great measure, but I do have the gift of discernment. That means he's given me supernatural ability to get through the weeds and find the truth. That's why I counsel so much, because I can get down to the heart. I just see it. It's like a vision that unfolds. Some of you aren't doing a thing for the kingdom. Listen, just endure my harshness for a moment. I just want to be honest. Some of you aren't doing anything. You come to church, and that's, literally it. How do I know? Because I ask you. I've asked you. Friends, listen, you are going to stand before Jesus, and you're going to have to give an account. Do you not know that he is going to examine every deed, every word, everything you have done, and everything that I have done, and a lot of what you do is going to burn up like wood, hay, and stubble because you don't have a kingdom focus. You just don't. You've got to correct this. I am appealing to you and pleading to you to correct this. I do not want you to stand before Jesus Christ and watch everything in your life burn. Yes, you will be saved if you have faith, but everything that you could have had for a reward is burning up. You've got to be ignited with a love for believers to come alongside, and God will not bless this church, I firmly believe it, with a lot of new believers if the church isn't being ready and made like a nursery. You've got to have encouragement. That's what they need more than anything at the beginning. But they need more than encouragement. They need guidance from godly friends. Point number two, they need godly friends to come around them. Are you willing to do this? Verse 24, for he, Barnabas, was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. He was known as a good man, which means, oh, I love this. He lived in a way, this is what the word good means, that was beneficial to others. His life was a benefit. You see, the Barnabases of a church live to serve the faith of others. They they are great helps to new believers. They leave new believers better by their influence. See, Barnabas had an indefatigable spirit. Do you know what that word means? That's a big old six-syllable word. It means that he lived tirelessly for the welfare of new believers. Listen, you want to know who he is? I'm giving you a biography of Barnabas. He is an amazing man, and you could be amazing as well. How amazing is the church that has Barnabases in them? For these people are selfless. They are full of the Spirit. They are full of the faith. Nothing encourages new believers more than seeing the great faith in the lives of godly Christians. It anchors them. It roots them by example. It helps them to grow mature, you know, years and years ago, we were a camping family, and my youngest child, who's now 15, he was a really little boy. He was like four or five at that time. And we had a dog named Rusty. And Andy, glad he's not here. I, I forgot to get permission for this. You will not tell him I'm giving this example, all right? This is our little secret. I know some of you are going to call him, like, you're going to find a way to tell him because that's, that's how vindictive some of your hearts are. But, anyways, we're camping. <laughs> And we are in Killens Pond State Park in Delaware, and we took Rusty with us, our dog, and together with Andy, I said, Andy, let's go take Rusty for a walk. And he insisted that he wanted to hold the leash, and I kept warning him, son, I don't don't really think you're ready for this. Dad, I can do it. Dad, I can do it. So I finally handed him the leash. I put his hand through the loop, or uh, wrist through the loop, and I tied it off so that he couldn't let it go. And off we went. And we did super fine until a squirrel ran in front of Rusty on the gravel road. Now, I want you to picture, just to help you understand what I'm telling you, picture a Western movie where they rope a man's ankles and drag him behind a horse, but now picture it face first by the wrist. Oh, it was spectacular. It really was amazing. Rusty went after the squirrel. I went after my son. It was quite a sight to see. And Andy has never walked our dogs since. <laughs> see, what I would have done if I was a better parent is I probably would have helped hold on to the leash. I'm not that good of a parent, obviously. And there needs to be those kind of people in the lives of new believers they sort of hold on to the leash they are a steadying influence and barnabas did it guess how he did it he did it by witnessing teaching and preaching which is what people full of the spirit does or what they do rather see if you're full of the spirit christian There cannot be but an impulse in you to witness of Jesus Christ. He's giving you the words. He's giving you the boldness. He's giving you the clarity. And he did this with Barnabas. And what he taught them was what Paul later called the elementary teachings of the faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. He said, or the writer of Hebrews says in chapter five, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. So here is Barnabas who is full of encouragement, but the guy is just a gifted teacher. He is full of the spirit and he is teaching the basic elementary truths of the gospel. Now, let me ask you a question. Can you do that? Can you do that? If God floods this church with new believers, listen, guess what? We're going to need a whole lot of us that are encouraging people. We're going to need a whole lot of us that are teaching these new believers the basic truths of the gospel. That are living by example a godly walk in faith. And look what was happening in the church. A great many people were added to the Lord. Well, early, the the new believers, they need encouragement. They need the example of godly friends. But thirdly, finally, they need deeper teaching. And it leads me to what I think is going to be my last question, and honestly, it's probably my most important one. And again, really, honestly, just get it out of your mind that age matters. It really doesn't. If you are 10 years old and you're a Christian, or if you're 80 years old, this is Applies equally to you. Who is discipling you? Who is actively, intentionally pouring into you so that you are a learner, that's what the word disciple means, a learner of Jesus Christ, becoming like him so that they can in turn disciple others. Who's pouring actively and intentionally into you? And I'm telling you, I ask this question all the time, and I really think statistically 80% of the church, nobody is being discipled. But the design in God's kingdom is that growth occurs through discipleship. It's exampled by Jesus. And the language of spiritual growth parallels human growth. Hebrews 5, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Now listen, Barnabas was a gifted, gifted teacher. You want to find out how gifted he was? Look at Acts chapter 13, verse 1. You'll see it there. He had a lot of gifts. But he realized that he needed help. He needed the help of the one who would become the most gifted teacher in the early church. And the man's name was Saul, which would become Paul. See, Barnabas, the grace seer, you remember the guy that can see the hand of grace in somebody's life and speak it in encouragement? The grace seer who had the gift of encouragement, he goes off in pursuit a 100 miles away to a town called Tarsus to look for Saul. Verse 25, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year. They met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Barnabas found him. He found Saul. He's going to become the apostle Paul. And Paul returned with him, and together they spent an entire year teaching and discipling and encouraging a great many people. And what you want to know is this. God blesses the church whose people proclaim the word. Do you believe that? You don't believe that? Do you believe that God blesses the church when that church proclaims the word of God? Do you know in what way he blesses them? Do you think that the pastor gets even better and that more people want to come and flock and listen to the pastor? No, not in this church. That's not going to happen. We are a decentralized pulpit. That means I don't want you seeing me all over the place. I don't even go to half of the activities of the church. Why? Because I don't want to be the center of this church. You know who needs to be the center of the church? Jesus. And you know who he's going to pull into the center? It's going to be you along with me. See, the church rests on its people. We are a priesthood of all believers. And when we take serious that we're going to encourage new believers and that we are going to come around them as godly, faithful men and women, and we're going to teach them the deeper truths of the gospel called disciple-making, God will pour out the hand of the Lord will be on this church, and here come new believers. What a great picture of the awesome benefit of teamwork. It's a picture that I've got with Pastor Matthew, Pastor Kyle, and all this incredible staffing team that we've got at Cornerstone. It's teamwork. And as we get down to the end of this message, now I'm really going to drill. I told you I I didn't really have any more questions. I I didn't really lie. I think I just made an honest mistake because I've got more questions for you. And I want you to really think about these. So Christian, I'm going to speak to you individually. If you're here and you're not a Christian, if you've not yet found your way to God through Jesus Christ, Through Jesus, who is the Lord and Savior and Redeemer and Resurrected One and your Judge, if you've not yet put your faith in the one who died on that cross for you, listen, just listen for a moment. But, Christian, I want to head on talk to you. Who are you greatly impacting for Jesus Christ? Who are you greatly impacting for Jesus Christ? Do you want, man, I do. This actually changed my life from a carnal, worldly, 21-year-old to someone that said, God, you've got my life for the rest of my days. Do you want to leave a legacy? I do not for my name to be made great, so that when I stand before Jesus, I will hear him finally say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. I don't think every Christian's gonna hear that. And to be honest with you, my pastoral pastoral heart, that frightens me that a lot of you probably won't hear it because you don't do anything for the kingdom. if you want to have a legacy and make a difference for christ here it is ready be faithful be spirit-filled come alongside others encourage them teach them you are wasting your life if you are not investing with all you've got into the lives of others now i'm almost done antioch half a million people it's going to become the hub of christianity in fact it was there that the name christian was first coined i want you to listen to this it's translated christ's men and women and it was not originally a an endearing term it was a term of contempt from the people that lived in antioch because the believers talked so much about jesus The people of Antioch used it as a term of contempt against them, but they took it, the early church, and they adopted it as a badge of honor, and it persists even to this day. So what if the hand of the Lord was upon us as we witness of him and hundreds of people are saved? I mean, just what if that happens? Are we ready to be a church where we can come alongside, encourage new believers? Are we ready to hold their hands, help them get their legs of faith under them, teaching them the basic truths of the gospel, being examples of godly men and women? Are we ready to work together and help them grow up into maturity, living as Christ's men and women? Well, the answer to all those questions has everything to do with your response to this very final end question. And here it is. Are you ready to live like Jesus? Don't let that go in one ear and out the other. Don't let it flee your mind until you stop and you examine your heart's response to that. Are you ready to live like Jesus? This is serious. Our rest is coming, friends. You're going to be resting for eternity. This is not your rest. This is the field where you labor. Let's get out of these pews and go labor for Jesus. Amen? Father, thank you for Barnabas. What an example he is. Lord, we're going to see a lot about the Apostle Paul But Lord, this section was about Barnabas. There's going to be more about Barnabas, but man, oh man, was he a godly man. Lord, you used him so greatly. The church, full of new believers, Lord, growing because the hand of the Lord was upon them. But they needed help. Somebody had to encourage them, somebody had to teach the basic elementary truths. But Barnabas knew he could not do everything by himself. He needed a team. So he went and got Paul and brought that incredibly gifted man back to root Christians deep. Father, may we be this kind of a church where all of us leave a legacy. All of us realize our rest is coming, but right now we're in the fields and we labor. And we all encourage and we all look to disciple somebody and we all ask for somebody to disciple us so that we who are being rooted more deeply in Christ can in turn root others. Lord, I think it's going to be amazing. Lord, if you answered this prayer that you will save hundreds of people through the people of this church, that would be amazing. I dream of this. But Lord, we got to take serious to get ready for it. We got to build the nursery. We got to be ready to respond. Or I don't think you're going to bless us in that way. Lord, let people step up, get involved in growth groups, come and talk to the elders and the pastors of this church. Get involved in ministries. Study beyond devotional reading of the word, but study and show themselves approved. Learn and grow, become more like Christ. And go out and encourage, and go out and teach, and go out and root people deeply. Lord, we pray for your hand to be on us. In Jesus' name, amen.